Hello, and welcome to the Breathe Easy Pediatrics Podcast. My name is Ryan Thomas, and I'm a pediatric pulmonologist and Associate CF Center Director at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Today, we bring you an interview with Kristen Parent. She is an Assistant Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at Michigan State University. Her lab studies viruses, specifically the mechanisms that control virus infection. Her current main area of research involves understanding assembly and host recognition of bacteriophages. Because of her background in the research of bacteriophages, she was recruited to help in the search for a phage to target Burkholderia cepacea in a young woman with cystic fibrosis. Today we will discuss how she became involved in this search, the outcomes, and phage therapy and CF in general. So for me, it might be easier just to start at the most basic level and discuss what exactly is a bacteriophage. Yeah, the simplest definition of a bacteriophage would be a virus that infects bacteria. Are there different types of bacteriophages? There are. They're very common in the environment and in, and in the biosphere. And the most common of which has what they call a tail. That is an apparatus that helps the phage dock to the host cell and infect. There are some that have no tails, and there are phages that have all different types of genetic material, either uh, DNA or RNA. These different types of phages, do they behave differently? Yeah, so there, there are two main flavors of phage in terms of their infection strategies. One is called the lysogenic life cycle, and this is when the phage infects the host and integrates the phage genome as part of the bacteria's genome. And so this does not kill the cell, but the phage genetic material is then carried along for the ride as the cell divides and, and continues to make more bacteria. That phage genome is sort of safely kept inside the host genome until some time when it's triggered to go through the lytic phase of its life cycle. So lysogenic phages have a lysogenic phase and a lytic phase, and some phages are lytic only. And what the lytic part means is that the cell starts producing bacteriophage proteins and genetic material. It packages these into the virions, and then at some point the host lyses or um, opens up uh, and lets the phage out into the, to the environment. When thinking about potential therapeutic uses for bacteriophages, does it make a difference whether you get a lytic phage or a lysogenic phage? The problem with the lysogenic phages is that when they integrate the phage genome into the host genome, they can also uh, incorporate things that make the host more pathogenic. So they can change the surface properties of the host or have toxin genes, things like that, that make the bacteria more dangerous. So when you're thinking about phage for phage therapy, what you really want are the lytic phages that are going to completely kill the cells and make lots more phage particles one, to amplify the phages, and two, to make sure that that phage genome isn't going to do anything that's more dangerous to the, the bacteria. Yeah, that definitely sounds like something worth avoiding. I found out about your project after reading an article on Stat News about the search for a phage to treat a Burkholderia cepacea infection in a cystic fibrosis patient. How did you end up getting involved in this search? 
Well, my lab has been using Twitter for the past year to talk about the research that's ongoing. And when this patient started becoming a candidate for phage therapy, doctor at UCSD, Stephanie Strathdy, put out a call on Twitter for people who were interested in phages, if anyone had one that might work for this host, she asked for um, assistance or people to be willing to, to test out their phages. And somebody that follows me on Twitter linked my Twitter handle to to this call and said, you know, maybe this group at MSU has something that would work. So at that point, I, I contacted Dr. Strathdy and uh, asked if she would like me to give it a try, and that's when we got involved. And what were the outcomes of this search? Unfortunately, the, the patient did not survive. We tried to get the bacteria as soon as we could, but at this point when phages are going to be used for therapy from the Compassionate Care Act, uh, the patients are are pretty sick by the time we're able to try this therapy. So we did get a sample of her, of her bacteria that we were able to test, but not not in time to help her. Although we did have a potential a potential phage that came out of it that we ended up sending to a group in Texas who are Burkle area phage experts. Has there been any further research or other sort of investigations? that have sort of resulted from this initial partnership? Yeah, so the the group in Texas, uh, Texas A&M, they're the Center for Phage Technology that's being led by Rylan Young and Carlos Gonzalez, and they're working to uh, make more of these phages, isolate them from the environment, and test phages worldwide. So we've continued to have a conversation with them and partner up. Michigan State has a number of agriculture samples, which are very rich in Burkle area. So we're trying to continue to hunt for these phages in our environmental samples and, and work with this group in Texas to help develop more phages that could be used for future patients. You mentioned the lack of FDA approval for phage therapy and the subsequent requirement of the use of the Compassionate Care Act in order to do trials of this therapy. What are some of the other barriers that have prevented us from effectively using phage therapy for the treatment of infections in people? There are a lot of phages out there, and there are a lot of bacteria. So some problems are simply finding them, uh, so time. And, of course, in order to have the research time needed to fully understand this process, labs need some funding that supports it. And so currently there's not a ton of funding that is available for phage research. And if there was more uh, resources like that that would be available, it would be a lot easier to do this type of work. Apart from funding issues, which I think are sort of universal, unfortunately, in, in medical research at this point in time, what other sort of barriers are there for using it as therapy if we were to have more funding available? So from the, the scientific side of things, how phages can treat different infections depends on where in the body the infection is. So for things like topical infections of skin, it's easy to administer the phage right to the site of the infection. But for lung infections and things uh, that are really in thick mucous membranes, how to, how to get the phage in the body without also 
triggering the host immune response is, is really important. I think with the cystic fibrosis patients, how to make some types of aerosol therapy so that the patients can breathe in the phage is something that needs to be developed. My understanding is that phage therapy is used in other parts of the world in the past to treat infections that have not responded well to antibiotics. Are you aware of any of the research into potential human uses? Uh, yes. So there's there's an institute in the country, Georgia, called uh, the Eliava Institute, and they've been really famous for promoting phage therapy for years. They have a number of over-the-counter treatments that can be used for this type of therapy. So one of the other things that was noted in this article was that phage therapy has been tried in cystic fibrosis in the past and that this has proven pretty difficult to do. However, that was, you know, many years ago. And so I wonder what has changed that might make phage therapy a little bit more successful this time around? Certainly ease of communication. So in terms of social media and rapid response times, you know, once once the call went out on Twitter, people responded within a day. Uh, so getting the information to people is helpful. What's come out of that is that there's been a uh, phage directory that's been created now on Twitter. So labs that are interested in making available their lytic phages have signed up with their name, their location, and the type of hosts that they have phage for. So this is at least getting the information out where the phages are located. So that's been very helpful. Also, the the good news on the funding side is that the cost of things like sequencing phages and purifying them has really come down in in the past few years. So having genomes available through NCBI's repository is helpful because this way you can look for potential dangerous genes in the phage genomes like toxins or genes that might control the lytic lysogeny switch. Uh, and so being able to farm the data that's available for these kinds of key genes has been really important. So you had mentioned that uh, MSU has this repository of phages because of the food industry. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about some of its uses there. Yeah, sure. So the food industry has been using bacteriophages for years. Meat packing industries, for example, have been using phages in surface sprays. There's a company called Intralytics that makes a number of topical treatments for these kinds of surfaces for places that use deli meats like Jimmy John's and other types of meat packaging companies. Also, farms have been using phage therapy to treat cows that have mastitis or other types of infections topically. So um, certainly agriculture usage of phages has been ongoing for, for quite some time, even in the U.S. I think that it's reassuring that we have found some use in the dairy industry and then it's being used safely in animals. Oftentimes that's sort of a first step to you know, finding new therapies for humans. Uh, my next question is about bacterial resistance. So obviously, I think the interest in phage therapy that's sort of growing now amongst the CF community is related to all the antimicrobial resistance that we're seeing among the bacteria that have infected our patients. Do we have to worry about bacterial resistance in phages as well? Phages are, in some ways, masters of evolution, where they are constantly living with bacteria and finding ways to overcome bacterial resistance. But 
depending on the circumstance, sometimes the bacteria outcompete the phages, and then that is going to be very dangerous if someone is having an ongoing infection. So one of the ways people try to think about getting around this problem is either using phage in combination with antibiotics or using a cocktail of phages where you would have multiple types of phages in the same treatment so that if the bacteria become resistant to one, they would still be infected and killed by the other. It gets very complicated, though, because sometimes phages exclude other phages infecting the same host. So when you asked before about bolitic versus lysogenic, question, this is where the lysogenic phages are really dangerous because these can help promote phage resistance in these bacteria. Can the phages, if they are promoting resistance, can they transfer that resistance from one bacteria to another? They can. Phages are very good at transducing genetic information from one host to another, and it's been shown that phages can promote the transference of antibiotic resistance. What possible procedures could we use in choosing phages or monitoring the phages to sort of prevent that from happening if it were to become more common in human therapy? Well, I think there's uh, several things that could help with that. One is sticking with lytic phages only and really making sure that the phages used in therapeutic instances do not have the capability of going lysogenic. That will help keep down the transference of these pathogenicity factors. The other thing is to really carefully sequence all the phages that are going to be used in this type of medical treatments as best as possible to understand what the genetic component of the phage is before it is given to a person. And also, the last thing that I think would really help is to do some experimental evolution studies in the lab under conditions that mimic as best as possible what's going on in a a real infection and make sure that we know what we're dealing with ahead of time so to get some types of evidence for how those phages may react under different conditions that we haven't really had a chance to test before any other ways. Well, that's all fascinating, and I look forward to reading more of your work. Um, I was wondering if people were interested about phage therapy or were looking to collaborate, what would be the best way to reach you? Certainly through Twitter. It's a great way to get instant connections by email or, or calling. I'd love to talk to people about projects that they have ongoing. Well, thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you very much for having me. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Breathe Easy Pediatrics Podcast. Again, my name is Ryan Thomas, and I can be found at Twitter at MSUPedsPalm. And Dr. Parent can be found at Phage for Life, Phage number four, Life, L-Y-F-E. We hope you enjoyed the discussion on bacteriophages and cystic fibrosis.